Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hacker Noon podcast. I'm here with a very special guest today. We have John Rue from Retro Rue Games, the creator of Quest Arrest, which is a cool Game Boy game that was recently or maybe not so recently covered on the Metal Jesus Rocks channel on YouTube, which is how I actually discovered it in the first place. How's it going today, John? It's going awesome. How are you doing? I'm doing well, you know. Uh, life in Canada is colder than I remember. But, you know, nothing to complain about, especially with everything going on in the world, right? Right. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. No problem. Just so everyone's uh, clear with our topics today, why don't you uh, give everyone a brief rundown of what Quest Arrest is? So Quest Arrest is a Game Boy game that I developed inspired by, I guess you could say, some games that I enjoyed from my childhood. I played Police Quest. I played Pokemon, Super Mario RPG things like that. Just those kind of games are really what inspired that. It's really like a, <laughs> a child of those three games put together. I didn't think that Quest Arrest would get a physical release. I didn't think that it would be as popular as it is at all. It was just a like an educational process for me. Cool. Uh, I just wanted to basically learn how to do game development. I wanted to make a game from you know start to finish with everything in between. It just sort of grew into this monster that that it's become today. Um, I feel really grateful that it, that it has, you know, developed into what it did, but it wasn't intentional. <laughs> not so at it's, all. it's one of the first games you've created or it's actually the first game you've developed from start to finish? It was, it's actually the first game I developed from start to finish. I, I created a couple of demos in Unity, just messing around, just trying to, to understand. And I failed miserably. <laughs> they were just really terrible. And I didn't finish anything, so I gave it up for a couple of years, and then I came back with the idea of, of wanting to finish a game. I didn't really have any ideas on publishing it or anything like that, but it grew into that. So so what's the basic storyline and gameplay mechanics of the game? It's, it's really simple. It's pretty much just a town is riddled with crime, and you're a detective that is trying to figure out how to stop that crime. <laughs> so it's it's really simple in terms of story. The gameplay mechanics are are a lot like uh, any other turn-based RPG that you would play. A lot of people say it reminds them of Pokemon or something like that. So that's that's really what it what it feels like. Nice, nice. Uh, before we get more into the technical stuff, could you tell us a sure. bit about your educational background and your career background and how you kind of got started in video game development? So it's probably cliche to say like I grew up playing video games and and you know I, I I've been playing video games since I was like seven or something like that. Yeah. But that's the that's really the background that I have in gaming. I, I was in the music industry for a long time doing event coordination. Oddly, like the world went to pandemic and yeah. all of the events shut down. So there was no opportunities for any jobs within business uh, or within music. Uh, so I kind of got put into a position to where I had to do something else. You know, I had to do something else with my time. That's one of the reasons why I really picked up publishing and got into like uh, uh, trying to do actually publishing video games. And, you know, I guess it's a sidetrack note, but I am doing publishing for other indie gamers. And oh, I see. And trying to do things like that with with uh, other games that are not only my intellectual properties but other people's games or uh, other companies' games as well. I don't really have very much of a, a formal background whenever it comes to uh, a video game te mm -hmm. like technology or anything like that. I just used 
YouTube and Google, you know, uh, just to learn certain things. My dad actually held my hand through a lot of stuff. We, we, I started programming uh, with like micro microcontrollers, the Arduino and things like that. That's pretty much how I learned how to, how to do coding and stuff like that. So um, how many years ago did you start um, learning about coding and programming? Oh, maybe like three years ago. Okay. So not even that long. Hey, That's- no, I'm really, really new with it and I'm still learning. <laughs> Absolutely. It's one of those things where, where I guess the learning process never ends whenever it comes to development or software development. It's always growing and new tools come out that help you. And That's really uh, interesting, man. And like, it's quite a inspiring story. You know, somebody who just picked up coding three years ago, you're able to build a game from the ground up from scratch, ship it physically and digitally, and even get it covered on like these huge YouTube channels, right? In, um, in your experience then, do you think it's kind of um, possible for anyone and everyone to create a video game, even if you have zero coding experience? Or do you recommend like getting a year of coding under your belt first? I think it's definitely possible. I think it was easier for me because I, I had learned programming, like the concepts and logic behind program before I, I started jumping into the tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they make things so easy now with with the uh, game engines to where, you know, it, they hold your hand so much and... It's, it's, it makes it a lot easier for people to just jump in. Like I said, I think it, it really helps to have that background in, in logic and programming, but I don't think it's necessary at all. I think anybody can, anybody with an inspiration and a dream can jump in, you know? Yeah. And um, on that topic of, you know, like doing this a more difficult way or the more easy way, why did you decide to develop it and ship it for the Nintendo Game Boy? Because, you know... Perhaps if you had marketed it towards more mainstream and modern consoles, maybe you could have gotten more sales. Maybe it would have been an easier time for you. So what was the decision-making behind that process of going with such a retro and niche system? I thought that it would be easier. Yeah. <laughs> but that was really the, the idea going in is like less colors, less less uh-huh. buttons, uh, easier to, to, to program for. But honestly, at the end of the day, like, it's going to be tough no matter which way you go. I think a lot of the, the, the hardest part that people have with any kind of art, whether it be music or, or video games or whatever you're doing, is finishing something and calling it done and just mm. saying, okay, this is going to go out there into the world. And that, was, that really was one of the harder parts that I found with the process was to actually call it done. And it never really feels done. It just doesn't feel good. I never really felt good about putting anything out into the world. And I still feel weird when people tell me that they like my games. It's just a, it's one of those things where it's like this uncomfortable feeling. But like I said before, I've been really lucky uh, to have people enjoy what I create and for it to have have expanded on such like a a vast scale. Um, But yeah, it's, 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 it's just an odd thing. It really is. I'm sure like, uh, like I'm a writer, so I know that feeling of creating something and not feeling it's done, but you definitely right. should be proud, man, just because the Nintendo Game Boy, you know, it's such an archaic system. You're used to like these game mechanics that are linear and set. But, you know, Quest R Us is special in the sense that it's kind of an open world game for the Game Boy. Like, I guess it's the closest the Game Boy could ever get to an open world game. You can right. walk around the town and talk to anyone you want. You don't really have to go in like a linear fashion from point A to point B. And one thing that I was, um, I really liked about the, uh, fighting mechanic, I guess we'd call it, is 
once you start to arrest someone, a sequence kind of plays where it's kind of, it's almost like a rhythm based sequence, but it really reminded me of Legend of Dragoon, if you've ever played that. Okay, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What was your inspiration behind that specific mechanic? Because that was one of the most interesting things to me. Paper Mario, Mario RPG, this kind of like sort of action sequence kind of sort of feeling that you can get out of it. It was to take like a turn-based RPG and put a little bit of action to it, you know? Yeah. So that was, that was really the idea behind that. It, it was, it really came from the, the Mario RPG games and mm-hmm. the idea that I wanted to, I, I had a, a partner that was working with me on the game doing testing for me and he's just not a fan of RPG games at all. Mm. So I wanted to make a game that he would enjoy, you know, that, that people who don't normally like turn-based RPG games, something that they would enjoy playing, like with adventure elements and then mm-hmm. a couple of action elements put into it as well. So, but that was really the, the concept behind that, that yeah. is that I wanted to make something that was generally enjoyed by anybody who could play it, you know? Yeah, and I think that was a great decision because that's one of the problems with the old school Pokemon games, right? Eventually, you just keep pressing A the whole time and it gets boring. Okay. But, you know, right. if you have this um, element, a part of it where you always have to be on your toes, it makes like every battle more interesting. That was sort of the idea behind it. Yeah, it was. And and it's always a new combination of buttons yeah. that you're going to have to press. It's it's really simple in terms of learning, um, but it keeps you on your toes. And I really wanted that that kind of feeling. I wanted it to, to feel like something that was easy to learn and just fun to continue to do. Yeah. So. And on that uh, note, you were talking earlier about how lots of the game engines kind of hold your hands these days. Since the game is like very much inspired by Pokemon and other games that kind of already have a set system, did you have to create a lot of that from scratch or could you actually just take prototypes or code that you already found open sourced on the web and just kind of work off of that? I took a lot of ideas from other people who had created in the same sort of field and I kind of made it my own. But, uh, but yeah, it was one of those things where I was trying to, to take what was already done and make it creative, make it unique in its own way. And that on its own is kind of a challenge to do, but yeah, it was, there was a lot of tools that were already out there and a lot of things that were already out there that helped me along the way. And I just tried to, to make it into something that was original, that felt original whenever you played it. But a lot of the things that I use are definitely old technology. It's nothing nothing extremely crazy or creative. It's stuff that other people can still use now if they wanted to create in their games. A lot of it, a lot of it was, I mean, having my hand held and trying to make something creative out of something that was already established. For sure. What were some of the biggest challenges you faced in that process of trying to make something creative, you know, in such a market that some people would even call saturated, you know, even the retro game market is getting more and more saturated these days, I'd say. What were the toughest challenges you faced throughout this project? Toughest challenges? I would say just trying to create something fun with such a simplistic set of tools and such a simplistic environment, I guess. It, it, to create something that's unique, that hasn't been seen or played. And, and one of the big things that I played off of uh, story-wise was the fact that there wasn't, I couldn't find any other Game Boy games that had the level of profanity and vulgarness that my game yeah. had. Yeah. It was, you know, I, I was like, okay, what can I do that, that other Game Boy games don't have? And a lot of them are bubbly or they're kids games, you know, and 
And that's really like, I, I knew the audience that I was going for was, was people who are like my age, I'm 31. Yeah. So it's like people who are older, um, they, they're grown up. It's not going to be kids that are going to be playing. This It's going to yeah. be mostly adults. So, um, I tried to think of what is it that that um, is going to make this unique to to anything else that's on the system, and mm-hmm. I think adding that vulgarity and yeah. profanity and and violence uh, to a Game Boy game with all these cute characters was something that stood out. Yeah, when you when you think back to the creation phase, the marketing phase, and even like the publishing and shipping phase, we do get some indie game developers on Hacker Noon writing. So I'm wondering if like you can think of any major moments where you thought, oh, I just wish I had known this before I started. And you can kind of save future indie game developers from making some of the same mistakes you may have made during this process. Things that I wish I would have known before I started. That's a tough one. Uh, it, there's a lot of things that I wish that I would have known. I'd have to think about it for a second. But No worries. If you, had done, if you would have restarted from the beginning, would you still have shipped it on the Nintendo Game Boy and you would have done everything the exact same? I would have done it the exact same because I feel extremely lucky to have the outcome that it did have. It's like you said, I could have made it for other other systems, for modern systems and maybe gotten more sales or maybe got more outreach. But uh, I think it was just a really grand slam place for me to start to get my my feet wet whenever it comes to game development. Mm-hmm. I feel like um, it was the perfect, perfect place to begin. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would do anything different. If the publishing was kind of hard, it was kind of because I'm working with multiple different companies to mm-hmm. actually publish it. So that was kind of difficult to get into and to understand. Who are you working with to publish it that helped you get I'm, it I'm uh, doing package and ship? I'm doing the self, the publishing myself, but I'm working with a couple of different manufacturers to create the different pieces of, of like the boxes or the, uh, uh, the, the uh, chips themselves. Okay. I think uh, if you don't mind, that's a very interesting point because, you know, some game developers might want to create physical copies of their games, be it retro or more modern. What is kind of the process of that? Well, where do you have to get these pieces from? Is there a specific company that does everything or you have to get different companies for each a different part of it. That was just it. That was the problem. That's why I am offering publishing to other, other uh, game developers is because it, it was so difficult to go piece by piece to get everything put together. What I did start out with was just a flasher, like a, a USB little PCB kind of thing that you plug into a Game Boy game into and mm-hmm. you know some software that they had online. Uh, I think the company was called Inside Gadgets. Okay. Uh, just buy this $40 little flasher tool and then use, uh, you know, reproduction carts. But uh, to actually get them made on a mass scale was a mm-hmm. completely different process. It was hectic. It's still hectic. It's something that I, uh, you know, if I could warn anybody going into is definitely a difficult process to do. Um, that's why, like I said, I don't mind offering publishing, you know, through my company and, and helping gamers out whether they want to make you know, one copy of their game or a thousand copies of their game to sell towards a market, you know. Who are these companies that are still making Game Boy cartridges? Like, is are these based in China? Are they based in the U.S.? They're based in China. Yeah, it's it's definitely Chinese companies. There, I, there are other companies, I think, in Australia, the U.K. and Canada I, that, that do this kind of thing. But I forgot what they're called. I forgot the names yeah. of the companies. The companies that I work with, they don't even particularly do this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It was like me reaching out just kind of on a limb, like, hey, 
is this something you can do? You know, I know you guys work with this kind of thing is, you know, is this something that you can maybe work on with me? That's really what made it difficult was, was just trying to reach out to these people and be like, I know this is from 1992, but can you make this, uh, can you make this happen for me? Eventually I fell upon some companies that were like, sure, we can do this for you. That's great. So, so now you're kind of trying to offer that same service to other publishers just so they don't have to find all these individual companies themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Like I can link them with just one specific piece or if they wanted to actually have their game fully taken care of, I would even go as far as to offer um, helping them with, with the financial side of it. If they, if they really needed it. And I felt like their game was a game that could make them money and that could pay back the actual finances that Mm -hmm. I put up front for them. But but yeah, I would even go as far as helping them uh, with with that that aspect of it. I definitely want to see more more games get published and more physicals get put into the world. It doesn't necessarily have to be Game Boy games; it could be any type of game. Um, you know, I've already gone down the the avenues that you would have to take to to get your game physically made. Whenever you know it comes to uh, every piece of it, so so I definitely want to see more more game developers be able to get physical copies. Me, myself, I'm a collector. I have, you know, a big shelf of games that I, mm-hmm. that I want, you know, that I have. And it's just really cool to see other indie games yeah. come out with physical copies. It's just a really neat thing, I think. Yeah. With, with a company called The Retro Room, I kind of assumed that you were a collector yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, talking about how these days, actually, retro has seen a boom. I don't know how long we're going to see this last, but you see these companies like limited run games coming out with specific releases that are meant to be limited. And I don't know how active you are in the retro community, but there's a lot of people that kind of hate the way that the retro gaming scene has gone with these companies that are purposefully making a limited number of games for the purpose of making sure these are rare and will be worth more money later. And it's not just limited run, you know, Play Asia does the same thing. And there's other companies that are more and more of these, I, I kind of see, like, you know, month after month. What do you think about this certain situation we're in and these companies that are engaging in this side of the retro game market? It's interesting that they do that, uh, that they, you know, it's it's a good way to make money. You know, they're, they're just businessmen making money, you know, and I, I understand that completely. I think my company is going to try to battle that kind of thing. I'm trying to take old games that, that, maybe aren't being published anymore and and republishing those old games for physical mm-hmm. copy you know the thing that it's really hard to get in touch with with some of the owners of these companies who the, the companies might have been taken over by another big company or you know and I, i'm still really really new and fresh within that 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 market but i'm trying to kind of almost battle that concept of them taking something and making it so rare i want to take something that, that's not being published anymore and re-release it almost exactly the way that it was released back back then, ultimately making it easier for collectors to find it, you know, um, and bringing down the price of some of those games. Uh, it, it's just, uh, it's one of those things where I understand why they do it. It's easy, easy market to make money in, you know, and, and I get that, you know, but, but I definitely want to kind of combat that with my own, my own sort of publishing uh, in yeah. the future, if I can really get into that concept. Yeah, I don't want you to go into any specifics of it, but for the sales of your game in particular, was it way beyond what you were expecting when you started? Was it was it about what you had expected or what are your thoughts there? Whenever I first pressed 
physical copies of the game. I did a hundred of them and I thought I might sell 20 or something like that, you know? Um, but they sold out within 12 hours or something nice. like that. It was all of them were gone. So I, I, it really exceeded my expectations whenever it came to that. I made the game really inexpensive in, in comparison to all of my competitors, all of, uh, all of them are selling them for 40, 50, $60. And I made mine 35 bucks. I was like, I'm not really that concerned with getting rich off of this or anything like that. I don't think I'm going to, you know? So, um, it really exceeded my expectations though. I did not expect to. Well, the card only copy is only $15. It's not even. Yeah. 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 I tried to make it as affordable to, to the consumer as possible. And I, I really just wanted to get the game out there. It was my first, my first rodeo whenever it comes to creating a full game period, much less like publishing a physical game. Um, yeah. I've made a couple of games since then, but that being my first one, I was extremely surprised at the, the outcome of it. It actually was inspirational. It made me want to continue developing games <laughs> and make bigger, better games, you know? So, so you just said uh, you've been creating games since then. Do you have any like uh, new, pro- uh, more like solidified projects in the works that you want to tell us about, or is everything kind of under wraps right now? I am working on a, a Game Boy game, another Game Boy game nice. called The Latinus. It's a it's a completely different take, completely different concept. Um, it's a platformer, action adventure platformer kind of game. So I'm definitely working on that. That's already out there in the public. I did a couple of like small games like that i felt for fun for learning educational process i i did like a uh, a pet the dog simulator where <laughs> nice it, it was like fmv style like 90s fmv video uh style pet the dog simulator and i did a, a a fan game i did like a legend a paper legend of zelda also wildly successful whenever it comes to viewership and downloads so i got really lucky with that but yeah the 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 next couple of games that I'm working on, the original concepts that I'm going to sell, one that I can talk about is Gelatinous, and that's definitely going to be a lot of fun. I think people are going to enjoy it. It's really difficult game. It's it's like a Dark Souls for Game Boy, okay, but, okay. <laughs> but it's a platformer game. I think people are going to really enjoy it. And again, are you creating that all on your own, or do you have more people coming in this time? This time I have other people who are helping, so it's right. bigger and better and... Um, it's just going to be a much more large project. It's already like five times the size of Quest S. So it's it's already a pretty large game. And we're like, I want to say like 75% with 75% done with development at this point. It's just really looking like a, a, a quite a larger game. Great, <laughs> and great. It really helps to have those, those people involved, like doing some art stuff and doing other, other aspects of it. Uh, and me just not handling it on my own. That was really like a difficult thing to, it's hard to make decisions as a game developer to say, this is, this needs to go this way, or this needs to go that way. It makes it a lot easier whenever you, you have a business partner and they're just like, mm-hmm. okay, let's do this. And you're, you're like, okay, fine. Let's do it that way. That's, that's good. You know? For sure. Ta- talking about the business side, I'm a sure. part of a few indie game groups on Facebook and a lot of, um, one topic that is kind of prevalent in every group is people aren't, you know, they're smart with the coding, they're, they're great at actually making a good product, but most of these people are engineers and they have no experience marketing or building a community. So as you said, Questorest was, it got way more big than you ever thought it could. And I was wondering if you could give some of the people listening, perhaps some advice on the marketing side and how you got it to get this big. 
I think a lot of the experience that I had in the music industry helped with that, you know, creating these, these publicity stunts of sorts, uh, or, or like feeding people things that they want to see rather than what I want them to see. I think that was like a really important concept for me to understand is that I want them to look at my game, look at me, look at me, but that might not be exactly what they want to see or what they're going to be receptive towards. So mm. I think a lot of it was was me showing them things that they want to see rather than what I wanted them to see. And I would sprinkle in things I wanted them to see, you know, at the same time. So where would you be showing them these like uh, teasers that you thought they'd want to see? Like what platforms did you use to get the word out there? I used Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Those were like my most prevalent platforms that I was really pushing content out. But like I said, I was pushing out more than just my own games. You know, I was like talking about just retro gaming in general and just getting involved in the community just in general and talking about retro games that everybody enjoys, you know, and things that I grew up enjoying and that I feel like other people enjoy too, like just retro concepts in general, like Blockbuster Mm -hmm. or... Mm-hmm. things like that you know so i think getting getting involved in that community was like the one of the bigger aspects that helped push my game development career along was, i see so you did a lot of like um 100 word of mouth like you talking one-to-one to many different groups on online and you, you did kind of the marketing like straight in there all on your own you didn't go through any other company or any other like shady right. marketing business you did this all kind of like authentic, organic creation of buzz around your own product? Yeah, the way that I did it was was just, I didn't even have a product at first. I was just trying to, like, I remember speaking with my girlfriend at the time about how I just didn't have anybody to, to talk retro gaming with in real life. You know, it was like, I, I had this hole in my heart. I was like, <laughs> I, I, I really want to talk to somebody about retro games and she didn't want to talk about them. Nobody in my real life, none of my real life friends were like really into that kind of thing. It was just too deep into the nerd realm for them. (laughs) Uh, You know, they were into new games or not gaming at all. Yeah. But I was really searching for like that void of being able to talk about old stuff that made me feel good. You know, I I use social media to fill that void. And, Mm -hmm. and I think in that process, I, Picked, picked up game development again, and I already had already grown sort of an audience of people that I, I want to call them all friends because that's, that's what we are. You know, I grew like these, these friends that were into the same things that I'm into in terms of retro content. So nice. that, that really helped with the marketing. Definitely. Cool. Cool. So before we go here, John, do you have any um, last parting words of advice for any fellow aspiring indie game devs that may be listening to this podcast? I definitely want to say, like, you're going to have that analysis paralysis, you know, that, I, that, that concept that, like, oh, this isn't good enough. Like, I feel like that comes with the territory. It never feels like it's good enough. It's, a, it's really, a, like, an issue for me personally is, is, is that, I don't, I didn't feel like anything that I was making was going to be good enough or even still like with gelatinous, for example, like, Oh, it's, I just don't feel like it's ready. It's not, you know, prepared enough. Like it could be better here or there. Uh, but I, you know, if you sit there and, and, and spend 15 years on a game, then, you know, people might not ever see it and you might miss your opportunity. So I feel like a good piece of advice is to give yourself maybe even a cutoff date. That's what I did with Quest Arrest. I was like, Hey, 
I can keep working on this game for years or I can just cut it off at this specific time and put it out there and just hope for the best and move on to the next thing. So I think that that's, that's a really big piece of advice. Another, another piece of advice I can give is don't try to sell yourself. Just make friends in the community and make friends with other developers and designers and other people who YouTubers, other people who are just interested in the same concepts that you're interested in. Those people who are your friends, they're going to share your stuff. They're going to, you know, they're going to be receptive towards your stuff. They're going to play your game, you know, and they're going to also be honest with you about how they feel about it. They're going to be like, oh, this is, this could have been better. Or, you know, they're, they're going to give you more honest advice. So I think mm-hmm. like a lot of game developers try to sell themselves immediately. And that's a problem. That, that's some, some advice that I think I could give. And uh, where can people find Quest OS and buy a copy for themselves today? Um, the retroroomgames.com. It's definitely nice. available there. You can, the, the, it's big store thing. There's all kinds of merch and you can get a physical copy in the box complete or just the cart. I, and is, is that where you're going to ship gelatinous as well? Yeah, yeah. There's another website that is going to host it as well, but I, I'll definitely be hosting it there. Uh, I think we have gelatinousgame.com or something like that. Nice. And where can uh, people find you on social media? What's What are your handles? Uh, on Twitter, it's the Retro Room Roo. Um, on Facebook, it's the Retro Room or Retro Room Roo. On uh, <laughs> Instagram, it's something along the lines of the Retro Room Roo. Uh, but yeah, you can you can definitely find me probably just searching the Retro Room and and seeing like I have a logo that's pretty consistent. So if you find me on on one platform, then you'll find me on the other ones. I, in my bios, usually I put like, like um, Quest Arrest something, you know, or another. Right. Well, so. no worries. We'll make sure to have all of the links to your social media in the show notes below. And I uh, thanks, appreciate uh, it. Yeah, no problem. Thanks very much for joining us today, John. This was very interesting. And I'm, I'm having fun with the game so far. I'm about an hour in. And nice. I hope uh, we can talk again once your next game is released. Oh, I love that. That's great. I really appreciate you having me on. I, thank you so much.